All right. Hey, thank you, worship team, very much. Good stuff this morning. Yeah? Woo! We need another hour of sleep this morning, or what? There we go. Hey, good stuff. Thank you, worship team, and great focus this morning on on the goodness and strength and the power of God. Amazing stuff, and I hope you're encouraged uh, in this. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about something that, to me, is so important that no matter what stage of life you're in, it can be something that will guide everything that you do. Every motivation of your heart, right, every season of your life, can come back to some of what we're going to talk about this morning, no matter where you are in life. Let me ask you this. If you're out in the wilderness, right, who's ever in the wilderness? I've never been in the wilderness, I don't think. If you're out at night, uh, some of you who hike might maybe, but if you're out at night and you actually need to know your compass direction and where you need to go, right, to kind of navigate back. And you look up in the sky, what are you going to try to find? You're going to try to look for what? The North Star, right? You know how I'm going to find the North Star? I'm going to get on my phone, I'm going to call Jess Miller and say, Jesse, can you tell me where the North Star is, buddy? What do you, what do you think? But the North Star provides great clarity, doesn't it? And it provides a true sense of North for where you need to be headed. And this morning, I kind of want to give to us a North Star for what drives everything that you do, what motivates your behavior. We're in a series called Refocus, Refresh, Refuel, and we're in, I don't know, I guess part seven now of the series. This is a time in our church's life where we stop and refocus why we're doing what we're doing and what are we here for. We've asked several questions, and if you've been tracking with us, you know what those are. Number one, we asked, what are we doing? We answered that with our mission, that we're developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. We asked, where are we headed? Where is this church going? We talked about being present in the town square, being relentless in the pursuit of the social, spiritual, and cultural good. We hope you can get that image in your mind. That's where we're heading. That's what we're trying to do. And now we've asked the question, what will it feel like on the journey to get there? We've answered that along the way with some of our core values. And this morning is kind of our, our, uh, our fifth core value of seven. And we're going to talk this morning about really some motivations of the heart and what drives our behavior and what, why do we do what we do individually. Now, um, if you have um, your Bible, I'm going to ask you now, because we're going we're to jump in, but I'm going to ask you now to turn to a book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And I will also tell you that we will get to it in about 20 minutes. Okay? Fair warning. Okay, turn to Hebrews if you can. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew around you, and that is our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. Hebrews in the New Testament, kind of the second half of your Bible, about midway through um, the New Testament, you'll find the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. So if you're cool to to open it and wait for about 20 minutes, then there we go, because when I get there, I just want to roll with it, all right? So we're going to get to Hebrews, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, I want to get in right away, all right? I'm going to jump in right away to what motivates and drives behavior, all right? Now, there's an old guy who's now dead, but he's, uh, he was a pretty sharp guy. His name was, um, I don't know if I can say his first name correctly, Blaise, I'll say Blaise Pascal, okay? How many of you have heard of Pascal? Good, good. How many are friends with him? That's good. Lived in the 1600s, smart guy, mathematician, philosopher, and here's what Pascal had to say. I mean, I need to know if you're ready to go deep, because we're going to hit a philosopher in the 1600s right away in church, okay? We ready for this? Because we're going to roll. 
Look at the enthusiasm, right? And some of you are thinking, I needed that extra hour of sleep just for this this morning. So here's what Pascal has to say, and this is why this is important, because he's going to drive after behavior right away. Here's what he says. All men seek happiness without exception. They all aim at this goal, however different the means they use to attain it. They will never make the smallest move, but with this as its goal. This is the motive of all the actions of all men, even those who contemplate suicide. You get all that. Pascal is saying that everything that you do all the time is motivated by your desire to be happy. Happiness is your driving desire. Now, if you're anything like me, my first reaction is to push back and find out what's wrong with that. Okay? And here's what went through my brain. Well, number one, I'm, I'm going to not agree with you because you're using universals. And then I'm like, well, why am I not agreeing? Because I want to be happy to prove Pascal wrong. I will be happier if I prove him wrong. Then I'm like, oh, man, I'm proving him right. Okay, I'm not going to be. And I was stuck. I'm like, what do I do? I don't know if I can do this. And I began to process different situations in life. And is this actually true? Is it true that every desire of your heart and mind is geared to happiness. And they're like, well, I don't know if that's true. And right about that time, I get a text on my phone as I'm trying to, to reprocess this from Pastor Kevin. Now, he doesn't know I'm going to share this, but nothing personal with this. And he sends me a video. And he said, I've been visited by a furry friend in my office. Now, you need to know in our office situation down here, we're kind of halfway underground and halfway above ground. I don't know if that's something people are trying to communicate to us. But anyway, we're, we're, we're at that level, all right? And there's window wells in which animals will sometimes come in. Sometimes a cat. I've seen a squirrel in there before. Kevin, welcome to Grace Point, has a skunk in his window well. Now, his window wells are different than mine because his are deeper than mine, and animals in his window well cannot get out. Yeah. Frog is okay, cat's okay, I mean, a cat can probably get out, but a skunk, not the most agile creatures in the world, and about a foot and a half or two foot, whatever, maybe two foot drop into his window well. Now, motivated by happiness. Why does Kevin, number one, take a video of it <clears throat> and send it to me? Somewhere in his mind, that wasn't in his mind, but the thought is, this would be a fun thing to do. This would be an interesting, my, my best reaction now is to prove to someone later on that this isn't just me, and this is a live skunk in here. And here we go, and I'm going to send it. Now, my response was, what did they teach you in seminary about how to handle a skunk in the window? My response at first was just to laugh and thought it was kind of cute. And then, my response is, because I'm motivated by happiness, I don't want that skunk to spray anywhere. Because I have to go to work in that office area, and I don't want that. And so I say, because I'm also motivated by happiness, please call Richard Neff. <clears throat> because Richard is a master at skunk removal. <clears throat> Richard ends up getting a call, not planning to get a call about a skunk removal. Now, again, I'm not in Richard's mind either, but Richard gets a call, and we have a skunk problem, and it can't get out. And how, do you, how would you remove a skunk from a window well that you... It couldn't get out by itself. So here's Richard's options. Number one, ignore the phone call. Okay. <laughs> number two, agitate the skunk. Uh, you know, number three, try to figure out what to do. Or number four, resign from being a deacon on the spot. <laughs> but, but any of those actions would have to be driven by happiness. Like what, what, 
even if I have to go remove that skunk, it would be better than quitting the deacon board, even though I might want to do that in this moment, but I will do that because the alternative of actually quitting, I don't, I'm not that kind of guy, and Richard's not that kind of guy. He's going to be faithful to the task, and he knows that I can't do that. I don't want to do that, and so he's driven by a desire not to do that, and therefore it's driven by what is that. He's never going to think, this is making me happy, but he is thinking, okay, in every little step, if I were to quit, I wouldn't be happy, and that's not who I am. I don't want that reputation. Therefore, in every little thing that I do, what drives me is a desire for, I might say, what's best or what's right, but ultimately what makes me happy. As I run it through every context, even though I don't use the language of what makes me happy, that ends up being a default functioning of what we do. C.S. Lewis believed so much in this principle that he wrote a letter, and one of his letters he wrote this. He said, it is a Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can. Here's what Lewis understands. Let's own it. Let's own it that we're driven by happiness, but let's go further than that, and let's figure out what should we focus our happiness on. I need to attribute a lot of help and thought development of this to John Piper. Some of you know uh, John Piper, a very helpful um, pastor, writer, theologian, all that. John Piper, C.S. Lewis, and others have kind of helped frame up some of this in my mind. So here's the point. If we're all driven by happiness, and it's a Christian duty to pursue happiness, then what we pursue becomes super important. Here's what Piper has to say about this, that we all make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. Right? We all make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. And so if we're driven by happiness, a desire to get the skunk out of the window well, not to deal with it ourselves, to fulfill our duty in our job, to, to love our spouse well, to not be thought of as a fool, to whatever, we're driven by a happiness or desire for that. We all take pleasure in things, and we make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. So if I take the most pleasure in you thinking that I'm faithful and reliable, that will become the God that I serve, is your response to me and my reputation. If I take the most pleasure in exercise and how that makes me feel, how that might make me look different, then I'm going to make that the God of my life, that we all make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. Now, here's the next thing that becomes so important. And this, by the way, even if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Bible person, this is just some logical things that we need to process and make sense of. And here's, here's this next point that's so critical. Of all the things you're going to get this morning, if you can just get this, this would be great. Because Piper pushes this, Peter Piper picked a peck of poop, it almost sounded like that. Piper pushes this further. And here's what he says next. He says this about happiness and all this. He says this, pursuing the highest good will always result in our greatest happiness in the end. Pursuing our, the highest good will always result in our greatest happiness in the end. Meaning, your child comes home from trick-or-treating or trunk-or-treating or whatever or treating with a million pounds of candy. They say, Mom, Dad, can I have it all? right now, or they don't even ask, they just start going. And what do you do as a parent? You're like, the highest good is for you to take one or two, maybe three, stop. 
Now, for them, it's like, that's not the highest good. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, I see a Reese's and a Snickers and a Milky Way and Three Musketeers, even, you know, Almond Joy over there. You know, let's, let's eat it all. But in the end, right, the highest good, here we go, the highest good will always result in our greatest happiness in the end. Because the discipline of learning when to say no becomes so important and critical for life, right? The pursuit of the highest good will always result in our greatest happiness in the end. Maybe not in the interim, but in the end. Do, now, do we agree? Do we agree? Here's, here's the logic. Number one, we're driven by happiness, driven by desire to be satisfied to make the best decisions we can in life. We're driven by happiness. Number two, this happiness is something that we make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. We make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. Do we agree? One back there. We make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in. Now, let's move that further. If we're going to take the most pleasure in something, we're going to make a God out of that, then the pursuit of the highest good will always bring us the greatest happiness in the end. Here's why that's important. I do not want you, I do not want you to torpedo your own life. Okay? I do not want you to ruin, to shortchange yourself. I don't want you to spend your days pursuing things that you think are the highest good but are not. I do not want you to create self-inflicted wounds in your own life where in your desire to, to, to be happy and to be satisfied, you actually make decisions that are not for the highest good. Because if you make a decision for the lesser good, you will end up with a life that is skewed and off-center. You tracking? This is why this is so important. So when I think about this, I think about what Jesus is calling us to. When I think about this opportunity we have to respond to Jesus. There are several passages I just want to walk you through, but I want to highlight for you this idea. That because we're all driven by happiness, we're all driven by, we need to own that. As Lewis says, hey, let's own it and let's move forward. We make a God out of what we take the most pleasure in, and it's our, in our best interest to pursue the highest good. The question is, what becomes the highest good and what motivates or drives our life? So I'd like to show you up here on the screen several different passages that we can interact with, and then I want to get to Hebrews to kind of draw this out. When Jesus is walking here on the planet, he uh, ends up interacting with a, um, with a blind man who he heals, um, by the way, from the blindness. And then in the course of time, the Pharisees interact with this man in John chapter 9 and in John chapter 10. The Pharisees basically push on him and say, come on, man, um, tell us what's up. We know that you weren't really blind from birth. You're making it up. We think this is, this is a fake and basically renounce that Jesus healed you. And the blind man says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. All I can tell you is I was blind and now I see. In that context, Jesus then starts talking to the Pharisees who then kind of press in on him. And he begins talking about his ministry, comparing it um, to a shepherd and the sheep. And, and here's what he ends up saying in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the what? 
the full. I've come, they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is talking from the context of a shepherd. Now, you need to know, maybe you know this already, but in the, in the shepherding mindset then, you have to imagine a bunch of sheep coming together in a sheep pen at night. And the sheep pen is typically made up of some kind of walled structure, usually kind of like a, a little bit more than a horseshoe shape, but pretty well horseshoed and kind of tight in on the end, where the gate is usually about the width of a grown man's body. And that man will often lay down, they'd be called the gatekeeper, and he would lay down in the gate, in, in the way, to protect from any uh, animals coming in or animals coming out. The shepherd will be the one who guides the sheep in and might take the night off to go sleep or whatever, but then he comes back to get the sheep. Now, sheep pen, uh, zh, sheep pens will hold sometimes more than one flock. So let's say we go in in a shepherding co-op, all right, we got four, right, we got four different flocks coming together into one sheep pen. Now, here's a very interesting thing that happens. If you've ever seen this happen, you can, you can attest to this. If you have four groups of sheep going into one sheep pen in the morning, how do I get my sheep and only my sheep and not your sheep and only your sheep? And here's what I do. I call them with my voice. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice. If you've ever seen this happen, this actually works where my sheep know my voice and they come, only my sheep and all of my sheep come to me. And then you come five minutes later and you get all of your sheep and only your sheep go to you. It's a very unique and very interesting thing. And Jesus is making the case to the Pharisees, listen, my sheep know my voice. And you know what happens, Pharisees, with a thief in that pen, right? Like the thief comes in only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come as the great shepherd of the sheep. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or have it abundantly, as some translations offer it. That word abundant, that word full, means exactly what you think it means. Awesome. Abundantly beyond what you can imagine. A category past the best thing you can conceive of. And Jesus, the great shepherd, says, this is what I've come to do. And by the way, Pharisees, you're the thief. Your voice is that of the thief. Here's what you're telling the people, Pharisees. You're telling the people in the sheep pen, come to God through religion. Listen to my voice. My voice is one of duty. My voice is one of attendance. My voice is one of checking things off the list and being religious and faithful enough. That's the voice of the Pharisee. And I will tell you, here's the struggle and here's the issue. That there are sheep who will listen to that voice. But the intent of that voice is to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus knows this. And this is why he uses this language. The voice of the thief in your life and mine is to steal joy, kill and destroy the very life abundant that Jesus has come to offer. In this context, we're talking about Pharisees. We're talking about religious rules that it's almost like you can imagine yourself being in a sheep pen and there are people coming for you. And you're to be protected, but the thief is the voice of the one in the religious context, in this case, the religious voice in you and in me that says, I am more presentable to God when I'm consistent in coming to church. It's a thief that will steal your joy, will kill your life, and will destroy your family. It's the voice that tells you, I will be happier when I have more money. 
because the almighty dollar is my great shepherd. And I'm telling you, that is a voice of the thief that will steal your joy and kill your life and can destroy your family. It's the voice of the the temptation that comes right in front of you again. Whether that's a temptation for for lust, it's a temptation for abusing um, substances, it's a temptation for gossip, it's a temptation for backbiting. And here's the voice that that offers to you. Come, come on, come, come to me and I will offer you life abundant. And Jesus says the thief, of which that is, is here to steal and kill and destroy. To steal your joy, kill your life and destroy you your future. This is why it is so essential that we identify the voice of the thief for what it is. That anyone who comes who is not the great shepherd is not coming for your benefit or mine. And any passion that we pursue, anything that is worked up in our soul that drives us to behave certain ways, outside of the voice of the great shepherd has come to steal and kill and destroy. This is why Jesus said to the Pharisees, Pharisees, this is what you've done to these people. This is why the North Star is not just my happiness or yours, because we are not good enough gods to handle that. The North Star is what does satisfaction in God fully look like? What does it mean to find joy and life abundant in the fullness of God? That is the North Star. Check out how these other passages. New Testament writers are doing the same thing. In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus saying, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The language of joy. We're going to see the language of life. We're going to see the language of desires. That your joy may be complete. I've told you this so that the joy that you want to have, if you're driven by a desire for joy or happiness anyway, I want your happiness and joy to be complete. Like, I know that you're motivated by happiness. I know you are. In every aspect of life, you're driven by happiness. I want that to be complete. So look to me. Look to me. I want it to be complete. We continue here in 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay? And we may have skipped over this verse before, but process it for a minute. You want to gain? You want to move forward? You want to get something great out of life? Good deal. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Check out this other passage here in Psalm 37.4. Take delight in the Lord or delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Again, moving my heart's interest to say I want to be and I want to move toward what the life of God is about, not these other interests. Now, these other interests may be decent. It may be good to exercise. Right? It may be good to be financially sound. It may be good to be relationally connected. But anything, anything that is good that I make ultimate takes me away from the life of God. Anything that I take the greatest pleasure in becomes my God. And it takes me away from the satisfaction of life in God himself. I want to keep pressing into this. A guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards, um, maybe one of our greatest American um, religious figures, uh, Christian leaders, 
um, made a, a, a comment here in one of his resolutions. Um, and he resolved this. And check out what Edward said. It's very intriguing. Here's what Edward said. Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence, I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. It's his way of saying, I want to fight against my own flesh and blood to pursue the greatest happiness in the other world that I can imagine. Because I know the voices of this world are going to want to steal and kill and destroy for me. They're going to want me to make them gods. They're going to want to draw my heart. The desire for material possessions, the desire to be known by people, the desire to have a good reputation, the desire for sexual fulfillment, the desire for release and escape through substance abuse. Those desires, while in moderation, may be fine, may be actually very healthy and good. Anything like that that becomes ultimate is going to steal and kill and destroy. And Edward says, I want to fight so hard that even up to violence I will fight to keep my heart and my will focused on the full happiness in the other world that is to come. Now, here's the, the question, and here's what we say at, at Grace Point. Talk about what is it going to feel like on this journey stepping into the town square. Here's why we use this language in our value statement. Okay, here's our value statement that we make. We, we put it this way, that the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. The life of God is more fulfilling than money, sex, power, reputation, or anything else we chase. The fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. And this is why we say that. Because the fullness of God is like the North Star that will guide us to true north every time. And all the other stuff, or all the other stars in the sky, that can confuse us and not bring clarity. The fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. And so no matter how good your plan is, no matter how good are the things that we create, they're always failed and always flawed in the end. This is why we say the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. And we have a follow-up question, and it's this. What do my desires tell me about my heart? What do my desires tell me about my heart? And so if you're sitting here this morning thinking, okay, philosophically I agree with this. Like, I get this, but we're kind of in the clouds a little bit. How can I bring it down? Here's how I bring it down. I ask this question and kind of reverse engineer it. So check it out this way. What do my desires tell me about my heart? Number one question, what are my current desires? Like, what would I do? What do I enjoy doing? And so I begin, in my own mind, I begin checking off a list of things and just writing down, what do I enjoy doing? I enjoy exercising. I do. I enjoy getting out and doing something. And I realize that can be a very good thing. It can also, like anything I take extra pleasure in, can become a god for me. What do my desires tell me about my heart? What happens if after several days I don't get out and exercise? My wife will tell you I start to get grumpy. I will tell you I start to be more discouraged than encouraged. Just part of the deal, just a weird thing the way I'm wired, right? That I need to have that as a routine. I have a desire to exercise. I also have a competing desire to eat. Sweet things. 
I have a desire for that. Now, I'm not going to say that's a bad desire, a terrible desire, just a desire. I enjoy that. I have a desire to, to, to hang out with my family. I enjoy spending time with my family. I have a desire to connect in relationship with people who will challenge me in intentional relationships, who will sharpen me and make me grow. I have those desires. I have a desire to spend time with my wife and enjoy her. I have a desire not to have a dog again. No, I'm just, that's true, but that has nothing to do with this. It just came to me. What do the desires of your heart tell you about where your heart is? And so I, kinda, I just begin checking down my desires. What is it that I want? And I will tell you that almost all the desires, I would bet, almost all the desires of things that you like to do are not bad. Like, they're probably good. In fact, in my little list, just for them there, like, there's nothing here that's terrible, really, unless it's taken to an extreme. Unless it's taken out of direction with the North Star, right? Unless my exercise becomes so important that I begin kind of pushing other things out of it to make it a, a God. And this is why it's so important as you think about how do I begin relating to people, relating to God, relating to, to money, et cetera, et cetera, that this concept become, if you will, the North Star. That in all of what I do, the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. Now, I want to keep pressing with this on you. So you have the book of Hebrews opened up to you right there. So let's check that out. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Because I want to, I want to finish with this and wrap up with this because it's such a helpful passage to see how, essentially, how Jesus handled this and, uh, and how we can respond as people who may want to respond well to this. All right? So verses 1 to 3, three verses, three points off of that, and then we're going to roll. Verse 1, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's pause it there. First thing, I want to just keep trying to make this practical because it's, it's, it's a principle we agree with, but it's hard to do. All right. First thing is this. I want to encourage you to see the thief, okay? I, w- I want to encourage you, and this is, if, if I could sit with you, and, and you could sit with me, and we could just have some time of, of just honest communication for any number of minutes. I, I, would, I would want for you, and I would want you to do for me, to help me to see where is it in my life, and maybe where is it in your life, where the voice of the thief is present. If the thief is coming to steal and kill and destroy, but yet some people are confused by it and gone and taken by the thief, I don't want to do that. And I don't think you do either. And here's what we read here in, in verse 1. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So here's what I'm saying with this. I'm saying, what is the stuff, and this is not complicated, but what is the stuff that is right in front of you that's easy for you to fall into, that you don't even like about yourself? What are the habits or the sin that just keeps getting you? This isn't, I'm not going to overcomplicate it. Here's the acknowledgement of the author of Hebrews. It is easy, this is very important, it's very easy to fall into sin. This is not hard. It's easy, not hard, easy, not hard, easy, okay? It's easy. 
And it's also easy to be encumbered by habits that may or may not be sinful, but are things that just kind of drag you down. It's easy. And so if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I've got this, whatever, I wish I could get rid of, and I'm just so frustrated with this. I'm just telling you, we are all with you. You are not alone. Bible people are with you. Okay? The habits that you can't kick, the things that you wish you could change, the thing that by default you think when someone says something to you, the critical spirit maybe that you've developed over time, you know, the anger that comes to the surface right away when someone does something dumb, and you're like, why do they keep doing that? What's wrong with these incompetent whatevers? Your inability to forgive, be reconciled to people, I mean, yeah, I wish I could, but I just don't know that I can. You know, the, the temptations, whether it's sexual temptation or, you know, uh, alcohol abuse stuff that comes in your way, whatever, whatever it is, listen to me here. It is easy. Therefore, it's also normal for all of us to fall into that stuff. And so when you do, let me encourage you not to beat yourself up too much. Because this is the path we all walk. What's important is to see it for what it is. It's a thief. It's come to steal and kill and destroy. The escape that you may be used to getting is not there for your best interest. The quick response you have in your flesh to somebody that you just think is, well, everybody talks like that, everybody does that, is not there that your joy can be complete. See the thief for what it is. Secondly, check out verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or author and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See the thief. Let me continue this imagery, if I can, of the shepherd. And that is, look for the shepherd. See the shepherd. And here's what verse 2 says. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. When I say that, I don't mean fix your eyes on a Jesus that you make up in your mind. I don't mean fix your, your eyes on a, a Jesus who is a religious or spiritual concept kind of floating out in the universe. I mean the actual Jesus who walked the planet, who suffered and died, who was nailed to a cross and died for you and died for me. Because here's what he did. Look at the last part of verse 2. For the, what's that next word? For the joy, see that? For the joy set before him endured the cross. When I ask this question of that verse, when I ask why did Jesus endure the cross, the answer that verse gives me and would give you, the reason is for the joy. For the joy. <laughs> but not of the cross, but of what would be to come. In other words, in the moment of going to the cross, Jesus is motivated by a future joy that will come, but not a joy in the present. In fact, he said in the present, Let, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. In other words, I don't want to go to the cross, God. But this is, this is so critical for you because there are times when, you're, when you feel less enthused about God's designed for life, you feel like, man, my family's falling apart, right? my, my own disciplines are falling apart, my kids are falling apart, whatever's falling apart, and, 
you will feel discouraged, confused. You will feel like God is not listening or caring about you. And you will wonder, is there really a north star and how can I even find it? And in those moments, I want you to remember Jesus, for the joy that was to come, for the future joy that would be, not even for the joy that he could understand in the present, endured the cross. And he endured the season of great difficulty for a future joy. And so I would almost guarantee you, like Jonathan Edwards says, there are going to be seasons where you're going to have to fight with yourself, yea, even violence, (laughs) to drive your will back to the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. You're going to have to fight with your will to say, it is the right thing for me to step back into my marriage And have the conversation that I need to have, even though I'm scared to death of how to do it. I don't know how to do it, but I need to get there. There are going to be seasons where you're going to have to say, I'm just going to man up and talk to the people I need to talk to and deal with this issue and seek forgiveness and reconciliation because that's what I need to do. It is not for the joy right now, it's for the joy set before me. It's the joy of the other world. It's the joy of what will come. And there may be seasons, maybe long seasons of life, that you will feel confused and you will feel frustrated and you will feel the temptation that, come on, it's going to be easier to walk away from my faith than to hold on to this. It's going to be easier to go get drunk than to deal with this. It's going to be easier to give in to sexual temptation than to deal with this. It's going to be easier to gossip about them than to seek reconciliation. It's going to be easier to keep stepping back from my spouse than to step in. And all of those voices are the voices of the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus, as a good shepherd, says, my sheep know my voice. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it in a category beyond they can even conceive of. Look for the shepherd. Finally this, verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Final point is simply this. Take courage. Take courage. If you're anything like any other human being, you have been, maybe even currently are, discouraged with your ability even to honor your own standards. You've let yourself down this week, perhaps, let alone letting God down. You're afraid you might do it again. You probably will. Welcome to humanity, to the sin that so easily entangles, to the things that hinder us and draw us down. In those moments, don't run from God, but run to him. Don't run from the good shepherd but run to him. Fix your eyes on Jesus who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't cash it in. Don't settle for anything other than the North Star on this issue. Because you're going to be wandering for a long time if you do. You're going to be wandering for a long time. I don't want you to undermine your own future. I don't want you to be the cause of your future disappointment. I don't want you to be the cause of your future failures. I don't want you to undermine your own life. If we're driven by happiness and we make gods out of that which we take most pleasure in, It would be the wisest thing to do to take the most pleasure in the highest good. 
the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. Know the voice of what's calling for your heart. Is it the thief or is it the good shepherd? And take courage when you fail. And keep coming back to hear the good shepherd's voice. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget, please, that the fullness of the life of God beats the broken stuff that we can create any and every day for the rest of your life. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us courage and wisdom in our own lives to see where our desires can become their own gods. Give us courage and wisdom to step into the things that we know we need to step into, maybe not even for the joy right before us, but for the future joy that will come. Knowing that the pursuit of the highest good will always result in our greatest happiness. Always. So Father, we thank you that you understand this, that you sent Jesus Christ to provide a life abundant in a way, in a shape, in a place that is almost beyond our full imagination. You've come that our joy may be complete. We can delight ourselves in you. As we continue to battle with life and make decisions on a weekly, daily basis about what's most important, how we'll spend our time, may we do it with both wisdom and reflection on what we need to do. Knowing that we need your constant voice speaking to us. We are people who are needing you desperately in order to stay close to your heart. Father, we know that we need you. Remind us of your grace when we fail. Help us to take courage to pursue you no matter what. We pray this in Jesus' name.